0: And Lord, as we continue in worship now, we are so thankful uh, for your son Jesus, who died on the cross and rose from the grave and is coming again. Uh, Lord, uh, we often as Christians remember the, resur- or the death, and maybe even the resurrection, but we pray that we would remember his return as well. In Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said, Amen. Well, welcome here, everybody. My name is Pastor Jeremy Lobdell. If you're just joining us, we're so glad you're able to um, engage and worship with us this morning as we enjoy and glorify our great God. I brought a board game with me this morning. Anybody recognize this one? What is it? Stratego, exactly right. This may look a bit different if you played it long ago. These are like space-age galactic warriors. I think when I was a kid, they looked more like... Um, I don't know, Revolutionary War guys or something like that, but it's a pretty simple premise. It's like a lot of strategic games where the goal is essentially what? All right, you're right with me this morning, that's great. <laughs> Global Dominion, yeah, thanks, thanks for that, I appreciate it. Global Dominion, let's uh, name some other Global Dominion games, see if you're awake. What are some other ones besides Stratego, what? Risk, great, what else? What was it? Chess. Chess. That's a good one. What else? Axis and allies. Axis and allies. Some more. I'm going to say that was Carcassonne. I don't know. There's a lot of stuff out there, but this is one my family enjoys playing. There's the red guys and the blue guys, and essentially what you do is you have three rows of players. And you know what all of your players are, but the other team, the other person does not. You turn them around so you can see them, and they are unable to see what they are. And so essentially what you do is you challenge these pieces, and then as you learn them, you have to sort of memorize where they are, regardless of where they move. And the goal at the end of the day is global dominion. The way you win this one is to capture the other person's flag. But you don't know where that flag is. And so there can be all kinds of strategies that go into this game, that's why it's called Stratego. For example, you could station your flag in the corner and put a whole bunch of bombs around it. And that way it's far away from the other team and anything other than a a mine or a bomb guy will be blown up if they touch it. Or you could station your flag in a spot that they would never expect it, like way out in the open. Or you can put a bunch of really big, strong guys around your flag. Or you can try to trick them and put little, tiny guys around your flag. There's all sorts of ways that you can go about setting this board up so that at the end of the day, you come out on top. Well, today when we look at Mark chapter 11, the passage that's usually referred to as the triumphal entry, I think what we will see is that it is, in fact, very much like the game of Stratego that God is in fact arranging the pieces on the board perfectly and exactly as he would have them in order to achieve global dominion. Now when we go into this setting, and so too his disciples and the people around them, they're thinking, okay, if it were me, this is how I would set things up. But God's setup looks a lot different than what you would expect. It's somewhat tricky. He's not trying to trick us. In fact, he's told us what it is, but we're just so dead set on another strategy that we completely miss his, which is right before us. And so today, I want to introduce you to that and walk you through it from Mark chapter 11. We'll do it in three steps. Actually, it's, yeah, three is good. We'll do it in three steps. And um, if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to Mark chapter 11, 11th chapter of the book of Mark. We'll read the first eleven verses. So it's eleven, eleven, not seven, eleven, but eleven, eleven, of Mark, the Gospel of Mark, chapter eleven, beginning in verse one. It says this: Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them. Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. And if, by chance, it just so happens that anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it, and we'll send it back here immediately. And they went away and found a colt tied at a door outside in the street, just like he said. And they untied it. And some of those standing... There, said to him, exactly what he said they would say. What are you doing? Untying the colt. And they told him what Jesus had said, and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus, and their cloaks they threw on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before, and those who followed, were both shouting, Hosanna, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. And Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple and looked around at everything. And as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So the three parts that I'd like to bring out of this passage today, there are many, many more, but these are the three that we will focus on, are these, and it's kind of matchy-matchy, rhymey-rhymey, so maybe this will help you remember. So the first one is, Jesus sent, and away they went. Okay, so that's number one. Got it? Good. Good. What was it? Jesus sent, and away they went. There you go. Jesus sent, and away they went. It's got a nice rhythm to it. Those are actually the words in the Bible, by the way. It's not just me making it up. That's verse 1 and verse 4. Point 1, Jesus sent and away they went. Point 2 is, Hosanna they cried. And point 3, I will leave a mystery until the end, but it does rhyme with cried. Jesus sent and away they went. Hosanna they cried. And number 3. So number 1, Jesus sent. Number 1, Jesus sent. Um, I suppose it doesn't seem like you could make much of a sermon out of that verse. And yet, as I alluded to earlier, with the game of Stratego, what you see in this passage is no random happenstance. Instead, Jesus is intentionally arranging the pieces on the board. And that's so important because people who are not Christians or outsiders, they don't look at this as the only begotten Son of the living God, they may see this and say, oh, what a travesty. How terrible, this poor innocent man faced such great suffering, he's wrongly accused, and it all ends poorly, Ah, oh, what a bad day. But in reality, what you see is, in fact, Jesus is completely and absolutely in control of every single detail in this text. And guess what? Not only in this text, but in your life in my life too. Even in the most very tragic of moments. Jesus is in control of every single detail. The first place you see that is in the words Jesus sent. Like Jesus sent two of the disciples. And you may think that's no big deal. Hey, remember who we're talking about here? (laughs) These guys didn't have a clue. They didn't know what they were doing and most of the time they got it wrong. This is one of the few places in scripture where you find them getting it right. Jesus sends, if I were consistently expecting a response here, I would say these guys would probably be like, I don't want to go, who's going to go, you're going to go No, I went last time, who brought the bread, I thought that was your job to bring the bread, could we be on his left and right, no I want to, why not me, that's the way they've been, but this time, for whatever reason, Jesus sent and away they went, they're gone, they're like yes sir, right away I will, whoa, what just happened here, are these the same guys, that's awesome. Do your kids do that? My note. This is great. Jesus sent verse 1, and then in verse 4 it says, in a way they went. They did it. Good job, guys. After three years, you got one. Congratulations. I mean, we got to give credit where credit's due, right? I mean, we've been beating up on them the whole time. But look, they got it right here. Jesus sent, in a way they went, two of his disciples, and they... S- You know, Jesus told them to say something, and they said exactly what he said. And what's amazing is he says, and immediately, like, as soon as you walk in the door, boom, there's a donkey. That's awesome. Believe it or not. I mean, it'd be pretty cool if I could say, walk around that corner and you will find? I have no idea. I'm not omniscient. I don't know what's around that corner. And yet Jesus did. And some people say, okay, well, maybe, you know, he arranged this ahead of time. Well, okay, so what? Then he was still arranging the pieces ahead of time. He's still in control. Either way, whether he did it like that, or whether he made pre-arranged an agreement with this owner, either way, exactly what he says will happen, happens. Immediately, they find it. They went away, and immediately they find it. He says, this guy's going to say this, and this guy says this. And they give the right answer. The whole time, Jesus is in absolute control. And that's important to remember going into this last week, because it sure doesn't look like it from our perspective. This is one of those strategies where if you were on the other team, you'd be like, oh man, we are smoking these guys. (laughs) Disciples are scattered, leaders betrayed, he's on his way to the cross, everybody's mocking him, we win. The bad guys win. But the whole time, Jesus is going exactly according to plan. Exactly where his father had led him. And Jesus is setting those pieces up exactly as he would have them. Just like Judas, just like everything else. This was Jesus. So number one, Jesus sent, and away they went. He is the Lord of all things, even the animal kingdom. What? This is for my daughter Eden, who's listening at home today, who loves wild crats. Um... Those guys have some pretty cool creature powers, but Jesus does even more. And here in this spot right here, this you may not have noticed this, but has anyone tried to ro- ride an unbroken horse or donkey or anything else? This animal has never been ridden on ever before, and Jesus sits on it, and boom, away he goes. The donkey knows who the master is. It's funny how many times in scripture we see that with Balak and Balaam and other times even the ass is smarter than us. Jesus sent and away they went. He is in complete control of every single detail even down to the very donkey itself. Now that's number one. Jesus sent and away they went. He was clearly in control. Number two is Hosanna. Hosanna they cried. Um... Let me read that to you in Hebrew, just for fun, because it's actually, in Hebrew, it's it's poetry taken from Psalm one eighteen twenty five, 25. And not all Hebrew poetry rhymes, but this Hebrew poetry actually does. And so it's very beautiful when you hear it in the original language. It sounds like this. Um, the word Hosanna is the Greek word, which we just say it in English, kind of like adios. We know what that means. But here is the Hebrew. It says this in Psalm 118, Verse 25. It says, Anna Yahweh Hoshiannah. Ana Yahweh Hoshiannah. Anna Yahweh Hoshiannah. Anna Yahweh Hoshiannah. All the crowds were gathered outside of Jerusalem at the time of the festival. They are really stirred up. They are looking for Messiah. This is a political rally bigger than anything you will see coming this November. This is huge. The global dominion, Rome, is there, and the people are oppressed. And there's this Davidic descendant coming into the city, and they're like, maybe this is it. Now is the time for us to rise up, O oh people, and take back what rightly belongs to you. And here comes the king, Messiah, the anointed one. Surely, this is the time where God will deliver the Jews. This is historically referred to in our Christian tradition as the triumphal entry, like the week before Easter weekend or Holy Weekend. And uh, if you've ever been to church before at this time, you'll often see little kids waving palm branches or stuff. And the moral of the story is receive Jesus just like they received Jesus here. Don't. Don't ever receive Jesus just like they received him here. This is the wrong way. They're receiving them according to their paradigm and their model and their expectations. And they're making God fit in that little box. Don't do that to Jesus. I suppose if it were me, I would do the same thing. Although, instead of a donkey or something like that, I would expect something a little bigger. I mean, if we're out here in the field, by the way, where I used to, uh, where I first pastored, they had something called a soybean fest. Yeah, that sounds pretty awesome, right? I mean, don't miss out on the soybean fest. If any of you are listening back there, sorry, but the soybean fest out in the farm fields of northeast Missouri was a big deal because that's where all the money comes from. So we celebrate the soybeans, baby. And at that time of year, there was a parade, and anybody could be in it. And oftentimes, the biggest tractors were at the front. And I don't know if you've seen a big tractor or not, but I'm talking big ones. Their wheels are like from the ground, this tall. They are huge. They've got to, those sprayers got to drive over the top of the corn rows, and they are gargantuan. Man, if I was leading the parade and I was in La Bojeda, I want to be in the biggest, baddest tractor I could find. A pretty pink one, maybe. Who knows? tractor (laughs) look at me baby oh yeah here's some candy kiddos or maybe you're not into tractors perhaps you're into motorcycles what then would one ride at the front of a parade a Harley of course what else (laughs) you gotta hear me from like three miles away otherwise it's not good enough I want some little electric thing I want a (laughs) man machine yeah or maybe it's not a Harley, maybe you're going to ride a horse. Don't ride any horse, what would you ride? Think Budweiser commercials. Oh, don't think that too long. But. A Clydesdale, of course, come right on on a big horse, baby, yeah. Or maybe it's not that, maybe you want a fire engine, huh, huh. You know, or maybe you want a Rolls Royce if you're like the queen. See, earlier I did guy illustrations, now here's my female one, ready? I'm trying. You're riding in in the Rolls Royce And you're the queen And you're at the front of the parade And everybody's throwing flowers Here it happens to be palm branches You know, whatever Maybe you're a huge limousine You're not a queen But you're the executive branch And you've got all the guys in black suits running around That'd be pretty cool But what does Jesus ride? Zechariah 7, 9 Oh man, I was predicting. Yep. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion, daughter of Jerusalem, see your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a white charger embroidered with jewels and other housings and armed soldiers all around. Is that what it says? Oh wait. A donkey a colt, the foal of a donkey, one that's never even been ridden before. What is he doing? By the way, um, for a lamb to be sacrificed in the Old Testament, these animals that were used for sacred purposes were always set aside and never used for anything until they were presented to the priest And here's a donkey that's been set aside and never used for anything. Being ridden by the great high priest. I wonder what's going to happen. A humble entry, an unarmed civilian, a beast of burden, furnished not with the robes of royalty, but the everyday garments of some stinky fishermen. Behold, your God. This is what um, literary experts would call street theater or an enactment. Um, Some of the prophets actually did this, and this is for you, Robin, because I know you like the bonus stuff and the extra material. Um, What happens in the Old Testament when... For example, the nation of Israel has prostituted itself by worshiping idols. And her husband says to her, You have defiled yourself. And now I'm going to send the invading hordes. And they will lay siege to your city. And the people of Israel say, No, we don't believe you. We're just going to do whatever we want. Then you know what happens? The prophet goes out. He grabs a pile of dung. Are you listening to me, kiddos? I think you are now. The prophet grows out. He grabs a great big pile of poo. Whoever said the Bible is boring, right, Malachi? There's more. I'm not even going to talk about the guy who ran around naked for three years. This stuff happens. If you're going to be a prophet, it's not always an easy job. Lay on your side. Don't get up. Ooh. But in this case, he goes out and he grabs a big pile of poo and he cooks his food over it. Why? Because that's a picture of what will happen when their city is laid siege and they're run out of supplies and they're starving and they have nothing else they can do but take their own dung, human excrement, and cook their food over it. Not exactly delight barbecue. You see, that's a picture. When people don't listen to the prophet, he enacts what will happen. In this case, guess what has happened? The prophet has spoken. Like thrice he said, I'm gonna be betrayed and crucified and thrown up on a cross, and three days later I'll rise, and no one's listening. He's just a Boo. How many times do they gotta say it, guys? You're not getting it. I'm gonna say, Wait, I don't get it right away. <laughs> If you know how many times the Lord has had to work on the same thing on me. Oh my goodness. And then there's street theater enactment here. And so Jesus is, instead of grabbing the Harley, instead of grabbing the fire engine, instead of grabbing the limo or anything else, he grabs the donkey. So, okay, I know you guys keep thinking, I'm coming to set up this awesome kingdom. I know you guys keep thinking, I'm coming to take over Rome. Let me get my Humvee laden with a 50 cal and show you what that'll look like. No. He grabs a donkey. Does this not send a message? Here comes your king. But the Messiah comes in peace. He will in fact do the opposite of what you think he will do. He will not use the instruments of war. He will break the instruments of war. Isaiah two four says, He shall judge between the nations. He shall decide disputes for many people. They're probably like, Oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares? And their spears into pruning hooks? Let me say that a little differently. They shall beat their handguns into spades? Or their rifles into rakes? What? What? That's not how you take over a country. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. Of the increase of his government and of the peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth forevermore. Listen to this, kiddos. Imagine this opportunity. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion, the calf and the lion, out there in that field, you will see a lion and a little tasty, yummy calf laying down together, and a child shall lead them. And the cow and the bear will graze, and their young shall lie down, and the lion shall eat straw like grass. The nursing child will play over the hole of the cobra and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den, stick it right down into the snake's nest, and they shall not hurt or destroy in all of my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. This is a different kind of king, and this is definitely a different kind of kingdom. Ana, Yahweh, Hoshiana, Ana. Save us. Shouts the enthusiastic crowds with their political fervor. Human nature changes little. I've heard some of that this week. Have you? Listen to this. Written, let me just say, written in 1996. This is not an op-ed that some Christian columnist wrote today. This is from 1996. David Garland says this. We must be saved from petty nationalism that divides the world into tiny enclaves set over and against one another. Jesus does not come to fulfill anyone's political agenda. As our judge, he may condemn it as he did the temple in Jerusalem. And yet, amazingly, people still drape Jesus in nationalistic flags and assume that he endorses their political slogans, but will not only do that, but work to accomplish them. The one who comes to Jerusalem as the king of the entire world instead dies for all people. He will not be confined to any one nation and his sacrificial love will reach beyond all national borders and races. Do you find yourself doing that today? Shouting political slogans, Go my team, go this, go that. Jesus says, look, I'm riding a donkey, man. What are you talking about? What we need most is not salvation from our political enemies. What we need is for Jesus to save us from us. The greatest evil is not without. It is within. What we need is for Jesus to save us from ourselves. Not somebody else, not some other bad guy, but me and you. Jesus sent and they went. And Hosanna they cried, but Jesus, He died. God's strategy is to build the kingdom. Let me just show you that. I'm not making this up. I'm pulling this out. I've had my pages clipped down. But let me just read you a few pages that are around here, okay? The request of James and John were to sit at Jesus' right and left when? In his kingdom, right? I'm going to try to flip the page. Then, Jesus curses the fig tree, he cleanses the temple, he talks about the terrible tenants, his authority is challenged, paying taxes to Caesar, the greatest law of all, whose son is the Christ, the destruction of the temple, the close of the age, the abomination of desolation, and the day and the hour, no one knows. Clearly, Jesus has not lost sight of his objective. Every single one of those stories or pericopes or little sections have to do with the kingdom. That's all kingdom stuff. He's not a defeated bystander in this process, but instead he's in intentionally arranging every single piece on the board to accomplish his purpose. He will... Come again, he will return and he will set up his rule and reign on earth. So many times we get stuck in the same place the disciples were, and we're looking for this or that. And Jesus says, No, 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 guys, pay attention. I do have a strategy. Jesus does have a strategy. Let me tell you what his strategy is really quickly, and then we'll close. Here's his strategy for building his kingdom. This is God's strategy for building his kingdom. And actually, I'm going to change the analogy a little bit because it's actually, another way to describe it is by building his bride, by beautifying his bride. So the first thing, he does three things. The first thing he does is he comes to eradicate the barrier. You see, if you're a young man and you're looking forward to marriage, I suppose you're just like, hey, let's get married. That'll be great. Why not tomorrow? (laughs) And father-in-law or mother-in-law are like, oh, hold on here. Pastor's like, no, not tomorrow. Got a little bit of marital counseling and some, you know, personality inventories and some family stuff and finances and living arrangements. There's a few things first we got to take care of before you move on to glory, son. First of all, let's take care of these barriers or these obstacles that are in the way. That's the first thing that God is going to do to claim his betrothed, his bride. He has to eliminate the barrier. And the barrier is sin. The barrier is not guns or wars or armies. That's no thing to God. The thing that's really in the way is sin. The sin that is in you and me and in us. So that's the first thing that has to be destroyed. And So when Jesus comes back, he comes back the first time to take care of the big barrier. The main thing that prevents he and his bride from being together is sin. So, of course, first thing, he kills the sin. He doesn't kill Caesar, he kills sin. He puts it to death on the cross. And then, after that, you're probably like, okay, time for the marriage. No, no, no. Okay, so he took care of the logistics. What happens like a day or two before the wedding? woman spends all day long in the spa. And honestly, to me, that seems like forever. Right? That's a long time. I got one kid who's very fast and often say, oh, dad, this is taking forever. How long was it, Zion? It was like 30 minutes. Like, you're right, Zion. Oh, sorry, I said Zion. Um, you're right, kiddo. That was terribly long. I can't believe how long that was. And when this bride is getting beautiful, you're like, you're telling me she spent two hours on her hair? Really? That's like Forever! What are they doing? I'm done. <laughs> no, no, no. She has to be beautiful. And she knows what it takes. And she'll get there. You be patient. God is beautifying his bride. You know, after he killed sin, I'm kind of like, time for the wedding. And God's like, no, no, no. Hold on. we got to make her beautiful first. got to build her up and get everything just right so that day will be as good as it possibly can. That's what Jesus is doing with his bride, his betrothed, you and me, his church right now. He is beautifying the bride. He's getting... The sin has been put to death, but man, we keep reaching at it. And Jesus has got to clean it off, man. He's got to use like exfoliating cream and facial scrub and all those other things to get all the yucky stuff off. He is beautifying her. So first, he gets rid of the barrier. Second, he beautifies. And then after she is fully prepared and beautiful and there are no barriers then he can consummate the marriage at the great wedding and supper of the lamb we're not there yet we still got a long ways to go I'm actually pretty ugly I'm really tempted to say so are you but I'm holding back (laughs) we're ugly we need a lot of work We're rough. And God is still refining us. And that's just the way it goes. But he knows what he's doing. He's not making a mistake. He's not losing. He's winning. This is the way Jesus wins. Jesus sent and away they went. Hosanna they cried. But Jesus, he died. But it's not a loss. In fact, what they were crying... Anah, Yahweh, hoshia Na. Even though they didn't have any idea what they meant, he was actually doing it at that very time. The cross precedes the crown, and the way to global dominion is through peace. People were surprised at his first coming, and I feel fairly confident we will be very surprised at his second. Do not be caught unaware or off guard. When I was, um, you know, just in the early stages of parenting, I can remember having a little baby in a tiny room. And uh, it was early in my pastorate, so it was years and years ago. And um, I got the ignoble assignment of preaching like the community service on um, uh, on Palm Sunday weekend. So those, by the way, are like the least attended services of all. And the young guy gets it. So there I was. And I was doing my study and I came across this verse. And I don't know if you've seen like a baby room or a crib set up. Maybe it's been a while. Maybe you got grandkids. Maybe you don't. But oftentimes there's like, and, and this is such as the case in ours, it's a tiny room. You don't need a whole lot. You need a crib, changing table, and a rocking chair. And that's about it. And that was what was in ours. It was like the size of a closet. And I always imagined, you know, what would you put over the top of the crib? Some people put things like rainbows. You know, really pretty stuff. Beautiful things. Nice little mobile that the baby can reach up and grab. Other people put pictures of mom and dad. supposed to soothe them, see their mother's face. All these beautiful things. Some people put a Bible verse... And I was studying for this passage at the time, and I thought, oh Lord, what more beautiful banner that could I put above this crib? An Anah, Yahweh, Hoshiana. Anah, Yahweh, Hoshiana, Save God. Save this little child. Just put your hand on them. Save them. I can't save them. I can't save me. <laughs> I'm going to be a terrible parent. I was right. <laughs> Anah, Yahweh, Hosanna! Save them, God, save them. Just those few short words, Hosanna, Hosanna. Say it like you mean it. Don't say it because you want a king who's going to do what you think he should do. But say it because you want a savior because he will do what is right. Anna Yahweh Hoshiana Father we thank you For your son Jesus Who did exactly What he was supposed to do I would have had him do something different I'd have him do something different now But we know that he's doing the right thing Thank you for your strategy That goes forth from before the foundation of the world, that in him you chose and predestined us to be conformed to the image of your Son. I pray, Lord, that today that would happen even more than ever. That you would forgive me for my sins, that you would forgive us for our sins, that you would forgive our families, and Lord, that you would save. Ana Yahweh Hoshiana. Save, O oh Lord, Save us now. In Jesus' name.